many of you have ever experienced a disruption that changed your life? A disruption, you know, like everything's going cool, everything's status quo, you know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, and then boom, disruption. It changes your life. Now, for some of us, these disruptions could be uh, something somebody said to us or something that we saw somebody do. Uh, for others, it could be something that we saw on TV or kind of a, a national event or even a global event. Still, for others of us, that disruption might come through the arts. Maybe it's a book that we read or a song that we heard. These disruptions that come into our lives, they're, they're often unwelcome guests, right? I mean, who wants to be disrupted? Especially when everything's going, like, super cool. When everything's chill, when everything's easy, when everything's status quo. But here's the deal. If status quo is actually broken, if status quo is actually corrupted, if status quo is actually unjust, well, then that disruption is actually a gift. Sometimes the disruptions that come into our lives are sent as gifts from God in order to wake us up to a reality that perhaps we couldn't see before this moment, before the moment that the disruption Came. Now, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, right, to be disrupted. It's nobody wants it. Nobody asks for it. It's like smelling salts. You guys ever experienced smelling salts before? The smelling salts are what you would commonly use if somebody's passed out or in a deep sleep and you want to rouse them from their slumber. You open up one of these little packets that's usually in your medical care kit. You open up one of those smelling salts and guess what it smells like? Do you think it smells nice? No, it's oftentimes a potent, bitter fragrance that when it goes into a person's nostrils and then that sensory experience connects with their brain, what do they do? <laughs> they're disrupted. But they're disrupted from an unhealthy slumber. And so the disruption is, in fact, a gift. God uses disruptions to change our lives. We're in a series that we're kicking off today called The Flow of Justice, and when we're looking at uh, some of the teachings of a group of people in your Bible called the prophets. Now, I know that uh, for many of us, the prophets are kind of that part of the Bible that we skip over after Genesis before we get to Matthew. <laughs> right? I get you, right? And maybe, maybe you have tried laboriously to do the Bible in a year, and then when you get to the prophets, you're like, it's time for a vacation. And so you come back to it. Because the prophets are like smelling salts. It's a bitter, potent fragrance that oftentimes will wake us up to something that perhaps we can't see. And that's an uncomfortable process. You see, the prophets were disruptors of the status quo. When the status quo was unjust, corrupt, and evil. Now, in our own lives, now, so for a lot of us, we hear that language like prophecy or prophets, and usually what comes to mind when we think about like prophecy? Come on, talk to me now. Yeah, fortune telling, right? Okay, so, so in that sense, and we're kind of on the back foot because we'll say things like, ooh, it was a prophecy, kind of like an oracle, like some, some person like humming and, you know, like in a smoke-filled tent is like, behold, here's what's going to happen in the future, kind of have that in our minds. And that's not primarily what the prophets did. In fact, I can't find a text where they did anything like that. What the prophets would do is they were foretellers. Here's what the prophets would do. God would send a disruptive prophet into a community where the status quo was evil, corrupt, or unjust. And the prophet would talk like this. So in this sense, they are kind of foretellers. The prophets would say stuff like this. 
hey, everybody, listen up. You're doing it all wrong. God's really upset. And if you don't knock it off, if you don't, and here's the word, repentance, if you don't turn from going your own way, turn back to God. If you don't repent, you're going this corrupt way, this unjust way. And if you don't turn, repent, and go back to God, it will end in your destruction. So in that sense, they are telling you about your future, but they're telling you about the future that you're headed towards if you don't what? I'm doing a dance move, kids. It's the repentance. Next time you're at a wedding or some sort of dance party, just say, do the repentance, right? That's all you guys do. Do the repentance. You're going your own way, unjust, corrupt, ungodly. And so the prophets come in and they throw out the smelling salts and they say, hey, everybody, listen up. If you don't repent and go back towards God, if you don't correct this evil, this injustice, it will end in your destruction. Now, in today's culture, we don't generally have uh, prophets that come on the scene like the prophets in the Old Testament. So we're going to be in Micah chapter 6 today. Micah was, from what we could tell, kind of a, a rural dude. He kind of came from nowhere up on the scene, and he starts giving his prophetic message. In our cultural moment, uh, prophets tend to be, the prophetic role tends to be amongst the artists. The artist. So you know, like, um, so like in the 1960s, there was a whole wave of music that, that you could refer to as like protest music. So like, um, uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival. Any, any fans in the house? Okay. So their song "Fortunate One" is a protest song. It's protesting the status quo. Uh, Marvin Gaye. Uh, what, uh, what's going on? Right. What's going on? It's a protest song. It's saying that the things that are currently, the status quo that's currently here, it's broken. Now, whether or not you agree with it or not, I just want you to recognize that the message that they're giving is a prophetic message. Whether you agree with it or not, it's a prophetic word. When I was growing up, Credence was kind of, you know, on replay on classic rock stations, same with Marvin. Uh, but for me, we had like Sinead O'Connor. Okay. Hey, do you guys remember the Saturday Night Live thing? Okay, that's protest, right? Again, I'm not saying you got to agree with it. I just want to notice it's prophetic. It's a prophetic word. The status quo is broken. The other one uh, that I, I own more of the albums, I'm not trying to advocate for this. I'm just telling you history, was Rage Against the Machine. Rage Against the Machine. Now, again, you don't have to agree with it. I don't agree with a lot of what they said. I just want to notice that the modern-day prophets, their words are written in the studio halls. Right? It's the music. It actually, actually, and I'm a little bit jaded by this, it's actually not really in the musicians anymore. There's some, right? I think Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar, Childish Gambino have put out some prophetic uh, uh, art. But one of the places that you see it most sharply is in the comedians. The comedians are modern-day prophets. And they use satire and irony and comedy to poke at things that they think, again, you don't have to agree with it or not, but things that they think about the status quo are broken that need to change. So like you might have this with uh, like George Carlin or Dave Chappelle, modern day prophets. Now I'm not trying to advocate for them, I'm not saying you should go buy their albums, I'm just asking you to notice that we have prophets that are speaking against the status quo in ways that might smell potent and bitter to us when we first experience it. It may be disruptive. Nobody likes disruption. And so they're not fortune tellers. They're spiritual smelling salts. And today we're going to be in Micah chapter 6. I'd encourage you to turn to uh, Micah. It's in your Older Testament. If you're not sure where Micah is, that's totally fine. 
Uh, if you have a print Bible, probably in the front of it is a table of contents, and it's kind of like midway through. And if you have a digital Bible, then you can just look up Micah. It'll be right there for you. Uh, for those of you all joining us online, I'd encourage you to grab a print Bible. If you don't have one, just uh, visit Bible.com. And again, we'll be in Micah chapter 6. I believe for those of you all joining us in the room as well, we've got it in print uh, in your handout. Is that correct? Did we print out Micah chapter 6? Okay, I'll also have some of it up on the, up on the screen. Now, I want you just to, just to get yourself ready for the bitter potent, spiritual smelling salts. Are you encouraged? Okay, so, okay, so, so come on, come on, here we go. Now, now remember, disruptions can be a gift from God, especially when the status quo, when the easy peasy lemon squeezy, when there's actually corruption or injustice happening and the people of God can't see it, the disruption is a gift, isn't it? Okay, so now here's the other thing too. Um, I'm still a young person, but I, ha- I cannot recall to memory, nor can my mentors recall to memory, a time where we have been so politically, not divided, but mean-spirited, assumption-y, and frankly, violent towards each other. And so what I'm going to invite you to do as your pastor, I just want to invite you in to, if I say something, I'm going to invite you to to give the benefit of the doubt that what I'm trying to do is unpack the text, not give you my uh, political agenda, because that's actually not what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm trying to live as a pastor where every Democrat at our church thinks I'm a Republican, and every Republican at our church thinks I'm a Democrat, and every Libertarian tries to sell me space in their bunker. <laughs> so so I'm, try, I'm, not, I'm trying not to show you my cards. However... I will articulate today, I'm going to tease out some of these things just so we're starting to put some pieces together, okay? So just come along with me, come along. I love you guys so much. More importantly, Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine, and we can do this together. But smelling salts at first, they don't smell good, right? But it might wake us up. Here we go. Okay, this is Micah the prophet speaking. So this is crazy. Check this out. Micah 6, 1. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. What's the Lord saying? Rise. Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your complaint. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the people of God. Listen to the Lord's, what's the word? Whoops. What is it? The Lord's what? The Lord's lawsuit? Lawsuit? Now, if you got sued, how do you feel? Okay, some of us have been sued. If you got sued by the king and creator of the cosmos who holds the universe together by the word of his power, how do you feel? It's like a spiritual smelling salt, right? He's saying, Micah's saying, to, he says, hey, God's people, God has taken you to the court of the cosmos. You better plead your case. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth, because the Lord has a case, what? Against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. Is this, I mean, are we feeling happy? Okay, this is disruptive. Now, TV time on. I know there's going to be a lot of stuff that we talk about here in this text and throughout this series that you're going to have questions, and you're going to say, wait a minute, does, is, what, is what the text says mean this, or, or I've got a question at that. And I just want to invite you, after uh, the sermon today, after this worship gathering, we're going to have a question and response time right here in this room, and you can text in questions. So in your handout, I think it might be somewhere around the middle, uh, there's a phone number. You can text in questions, 
and then we'll gather in here at 11 o'clock, and I'll do my best to respond to those questions to the best of my ability. The other thing I wanted to say, too, I know a lot of y'all are going to Rooted classes or Robert's class or Sonia's class or uh, Jeff's uh, Genesis study. So if you're going to one of the studies and you still want to ask a question, text it in and just say, text me back or email me. Just let me know, and I'll I'll, I'll connect with you that way, because I think this is so important for us to really get into these prophetic words. So here you have uh, this lawsuit against uh, the people of God. My people, what have I done? So God in this lawsuit is now going to show his people what he has done. Watch this. My people, what have I done to you or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Do you see? God is giving an invitation. Come accuse me of doing wrong. Now, what's the assumption? The assumption is, Micah's, Micah's words here, the assumption is, is that the people are behaving as if God has wronged them, neglected them, and forgotten them. And God is saying, come at me, bro. You're going to live like that? If you're living like that, you must think I've forgotten you, so come on at me. Do you see it? Now, this is like uh, aggressive language, isn't it? Yeah, it's like smelling salts to the soul. Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from what? The land of Egypt. Do you see how he's connecting to their history? Now, I brought you up from the land of Egypt. The implication is, I could have left you all there. I could have left you all there as slaves. But I brought you up out of the land of Egypt, and I redeemed you from that place of what? Slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, Miriam ahead of you, right? I sent these men and women as leaders to you. I gave you gifts. Come at me, bro. Now, if you're Israel listening to Micah talk, what are you thinking? Shut up, Micah. Right? Just quiet yourself down. Uh, Micah, you're, ju- you're being hyperbolic. Micah, you are, uh, you're just being too crazy. And yet Micah continues to speak. Would the Lord, notice this, be pleased with a thousand rams or with 10,000 streams of oil? So this is, come on now. So we're time-traveling tourists. What's he talking about, rams and oil? He's talking about worship. In, and I know it's weird, and, and you can ask me in the Q&R, uh, but as part of their normal rhythms of worship, they would make animal sacrifice and sacrifice of goods like oil. And in corporate, and I know it's weird, but just come with me now. As part of their worship, they would slay these animals, they would give of the oil, and notice, he says, if you gave me thousands of rams or 10,000 streams of oil, would I be delighted? Micah even pushes the metaphor. Now, I know this is going to freak us out. Let it. Watch this. Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the offspring of my body for my own sin? Do you see now you're even getting into, should we even do human sacrifice? So notice what God is saying. Your worship, you could pile it on. You could pile as many goats as you want on. You can pile as much oil on as one. You could even give me your firstborn son, but your worship is abhorrent to me because your lifestyles are not connected to what you're singing. All throughout the prophets, uh, okay, so these are some nerdy seminary words. Orthodoxy, right belief, is always connected to orthopraxy, right living. Orthodoxy, is always connected in the prophets to orthopraxy. If what you say you believe is not shown in how you live, then what you say you believe is meaningless to God, according to Micah 6. 
So he's saying, you come to me with these songs, you, you get up in your solemn assemblies and you sing, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. Look at your life, human. Do you see that's what he's saying? Is this striking? Is this disruptive? But it's disruptive for our good. Now notice what's next in the text. Mankind. So, oh my gosh, this is so good. Um, this is a hyperlink to Genesis 1 and 2, where God creates mankind, humanity, out of the dust of the earth. And here, Yahweh, God, is speaking to his people, and he says, listen, human. Do you notice uh, who's doing the talking here? I know it's through Micah's mouth, but who, who's doing the talking? God is. And notice who he speaks to. He, he, in this moment, he says, listen, human. Do you see the ordering? Okay. Listen, human. He has told each of you what is good. Okay, so God wants us, our orthopraxy, to line up with our orthodoxy. He wants us to have integrated lives where we, where we are uh, true and just and righteous. And this is what he says. This is what the Lord requires of you. Not all those rams, not all those songs, not all that oil. But what? Act justly. Love faithfulness and walk what? Humbly with your So you're going to walk how? Humbly. We're going to act how? Justly. And we're going to love what? Faithfulness. So this idea of justice, what does that mean? So uh, Americans are on the back foot as it comes to thinking about justice. And here's why. Usually, so for those of us that are American, grew up in American culture, for most of us, when we hear the words justice, we think about uh, like the penal system or the correction system. In fact, what is our justice? We have a whole department of justice. What does our department of justice primarily focus on? Come on. Crime, right? So generally speaking, we think of justice only in terms of retribution, retributive justice, right? Somebody does a wrong thing and we call the justice department and they try to make the person pay for the wrong thing, right? So that's retributive justice, retribution. It, you did a wrong thing in the eyes of the law or whatever, and so the justice department gets involved and they correct it. But that is not the, now hold on with me now. Next, today, when you go home and read your whole Bible, I want you to underline every time the word justice or righteousness comes up. And when justice and righteousness are paired together, I want you to circle it 50 times you're going to find that justice and righteousness are paired together over 200 times, so make sure you have a good pen. All throughout your scripture, justice and righteousness are being proclaimed, and primarily, primarily, pri... We're going to put the merrily in primarily, right? Primarily, justice and the calls for justice are not retributive justice, but restorative and distributive justice. Now, I know that those are fancy words. Here's what that means. Uh... You want to do it real quick? Let's do it real quick. In the beginning, God created what? All the stuff, right? And then he gifts it to humans. And then he says to humans, use the stuff that I've given to you, money, wealth, resources, the earth, right, the cosmos, this stuff that you're to steward, use it according to my values. Therefore, if there is someone among you who is poor and hungry, what are you to do that would make that injustice just? You make sure they're not hungry no more. 
Because, um, here's another way to think about justice, right? Distributive and restorative justice. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, where? On earth as? Okay, so if there are the poor, the widow, the immigrant, and the orphan among us that are being taken advantage of, Will that happen in heaven? And so how should we work now? We should work to make it on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So come with me now. So what is justice? To act justly is to, so one uh, old school theologian basically said it like this. Justice is to give person to person and group to group that which is their God-given due. Here we go. For free market capitalists, the assumption is that everything that I have is whose? Mine. And for a socialist of various stripes, to whose do these possessions belong? To whom do these possessions belong? Government. The kingdom of God says, whose are these possessions? Do you see how do you see how the prophet is undermining what we would call progressivism and conservatism? Yeah, okay, so do you see it? So, so, so if we lean one way or the other, if we lean red or blue, this is a prophetic word for us no matter which team we're on because every team that's available to us right now in this fine democratic republic that we live in is a man-made institution. So let me uh, invite you, let me just give you this invitation. Are you allowing the word of God to speak prophetically into your political commitments? Regardless of what they may be. And if you're finding, come with me now, if you're finding that your reading of the word of God completely and totally and all the time aligns and affirms your political commitments, then your true faith may be your preferred party that's simply co-opting the word of God to justify his positions. This, this is Micah, this is not, by the way, this is not new to us. This is going on in Micah's day. Micah is saying, y'all are saying God's name out loud and justifying this evil. And so your worship is meaningless to me. I, I want to call you to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly before your God. There was a, a couple at uh, Bethany Bible Church who is, uh, which is an amazing church. They, they planted Desert Springs in uh, 1977. And my pastor and, and mentor, uh, Rick Eford, is currently uh, filling the pulpit there. And he was telling me this story about, uh, he had done a sermon. I'm sure it was excellent. Uh, I didn't watch it, but uh, I'm sure it was excellent. And he was, <laughs> Rick, I love you. Uh, he was telling me that after, he, it, was, it was, I forget what it was on. It was, it was on the gospel, I'm quite sure. And uh, a couple came up and, and said, um, hey, listen, we heard your sermon the other day. And, um, you know, what you said is, is so true. We, we actually have a, a person in our life, a neighbor, who's on hospice care and, and, and is dying alone. And we just think that's not right. Now, what's the word? It's not, that, that's the same word for justice. It's not just. It's not what is their God-given due. 
And so they said to Rick, so, so we brought her into our home for however long that is. Because what we saw was not just, so this isn't charity, this is just, they said it's not right, and so we're compelled to do this, so we're going to do it, and we are going to act justly, love faithfulness, and walk humbly before our God. Do you see it? Okay, so justice is that every person and every group of persons get their God-given due. And for those of us who are a little, you know, maybe we're freaked out by that language of uh, groups of persons, um, there's this term called social justice, which has been used by theologians for over 100 years. I think it's an excellent term when rightly defined because it really helps us understand what we're talking about. Are we talking about criminal, criminal justice, interpersonal justice, ecological justice, or social justice? And here's, by and large, what social justice refers to. Taking care of groups of people like the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan, which, by the way, those four groups of people, when you go home and read through your whole Bible today, they're mentioned all the time. Almost always in direct connection to a cry for, a call for acting justly. That the call for justice, we're often reminded in these spiritual smelling salts to pay attention to the people who are easy to not pay attention to. It's easy to not pay attention to the people on the margins. What are some of the injustices that you see? Are there still treasures of wickedness? Notice the language. He's talking about uh, wealth, and he calls them treasures of what? All right, that's important to pay attention to. And the accursed short measure in the house of the wicked. Can I excuse wicked scales or bags of deceptive weight? What's he talking about? He's talking about unjust business practices. Now, here, here's, a, here's a word or phrase that if we say it, we might just want to think about Micah 6. It's only business. You wronged me. Oh, it's just business. Well, uh, let's, let's sharpen the pencil over here and actually change these numbers because we can get a higher margin for, for our profit uh, and we get a higher profit for our shareholders. Yeah, it's just business. Don't worry about it. It's just business. Is it just business according to the Lord? He says, listen, if you guys are tipping the scales, it's abhorrent to me. If you just tip, if you don't pay, he literally will say in another prophet, uh, a portion of the prophetic literature, if you don't pay your workers a right and just wage, you're abhorrent to me. It's, an, it's, it's abhorrent to me. And we live in a cultural moment, a consumeristic, individualistic society, which basically uh, overvalues profit for the shareholder and undervalues justice for the laborer. And listen, if, that's, if that sounds a little too far left to you, I just want to invite you to engage with the prophetic literature. And if it sounds too right for you, too conservative for you, I just want to invite you in to, to explore the prophetic literature and let it be disruptive because God-sent disruptions are a gift. How do we apply this wisdom today? I want to just give you three things to think about. And then we're going to pray, reflect, and take communion together. Here in this text, we have a principle, we have a posture, and we have a policy. Now, the principle is what? What did God say he wanted us to do? Act justly to love and to do what? Walk humbly with whom? 
to have a, to have a Jesus relationship, right? To walk, but to walk humbly with God. Okay, so the posture, or the, excuse me, the principle is towards what? A Jesus-centered justice. So, so, so for, for those of you that are followers of Jesus, I want to invite you into to just thinking about and praying through, Jesus, what is what does it look like for me to be centered on you and to have a posture, excuse me, a, a, a deep principle of justice? By the way, do you know where justice comes from? This is mind-blowing. The scripture says that true justice comes from the very character of God. And so if I'm in deep relationship with Jesus, then the justice is something I want to be a part of because it's about who he is too. And so I'm going to have this principle of a Jesus-centered justice. I'm always looking for ways, okay? How do I live out a Jesus-centered justice? And then there's a posture. So that's the principle, Jesus-centered justice. What's the posture? Notice throughout, the, specifically the prophetic literature, but throughout your whole Bible, whom the people of God are constantly reminded to pay attention to when it comes to justice and righteousness. It's the widow, the poor, the immigrant, and the orphan. Why? Because it's easy to forget and not have to listen to the widow, the poor, the orphan, and the immigrant. It's what uh, some would refer to as the marginalized of society those who are relegated to the margins, those who don't get positions of prominence and power, those whose voices it's easy just to turn off. And so the, 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 the principle is a Jesus-centered justice. And my posture is, I'm not saying deny, and the scripture does not say deny justice for the wealthy. Don't hear me say that. But the posture is, well, it's easy to look at the wealthy, the powerful, the people who are right in my face. But my posture is to say, okay, I'm, I'm hearing them, but I also need to listen to whom. My posture is to, who am I not hearing from as it relates to Jesus-centered justice? And here we go, policy. Now I want to, <laughs> okay. The majority of the toxicity and division that we're experiencing right now uh, within our community, within our nation, and even within our church is arguments over how to do the thing, policy. So I want to invite you to, to, to if you're holding on to your policy perspective like this, I'm not going to tell you to shuttle it or throw it in the trash, just maybe loosen it up a little bit. And take a step back a couple steps to what is my first principles, Jesus-centered justice. And who am I looking out for? What's my posture? My posture is I want to be listening to the people to whom usually justice is denied. Okay? And then I want to get together, and I'm going to invite you into this. You'll see this in the book of uh, Acts, uh, uh, chapter 2 and on, and then also in James. Uh, how do we do it? Oh, well, my goodness. How do we do it? And we need a Jesus-centered wisdom that is fresh every morning. Because every morning, there are new voices that we're hearing, new injustices that we're seeing, and we, we need a fresh wisdom from Jesus. And you see this all throughout the scriptures where they're taking the principle of a God-centered justice, the posture towards the marginalized, and then they figure out how to make it work, and how to make it work changes over time. And so if you find yourself having so many, ah, here, 
I would invite you with whomever you're having those discussions with, back up a couple notches. Okay, um, yeah, let's have some fun. So I've heard people say, uh, like I've heard Republican Christians say, I can't believe that there's a Christian who would vote Democrat. And I've heard uh, uh, Christian Democrats uh, say, I can't believe there's a Christian who would vote Republican. And uh, my pastoral encouragement to them is always this, do you want to meet one? Do you want to meet one? If, if, do you know any? If you don't know any, I would encourage you to meet with one. Sit at the table, but don't start the conversation here. Where should we start the conversation? Back with Jesus. Jesus longs and calls us to a Jesus-centered justice. And the posture is always looking out for those who it's easy to ignore, those for whom justice is usually denied. And then let's have a kind, loving, patient, gracious, long-suffering, self-controlled conversation about how we might pool our resources to do this. By the way, that's what we're trying to do as a church family. We are centered on Jesus, pursuing justice. But when we talk about Habitat for Humanity or uh, Hustle Phoenix or Phoenix Rescue Mission or Kitchen on the Street or PV Family Resource Center or whatever it is, for us, this is not a matter of charity. It's a matter of justice. It's not right that kids grow up without a home, and so we're heavily invested in foster care. It's not just that people in this community of radical abundance go hungry. And so we step out and we try to figure out how to do it from this heart. I would encourage you to engage in that. What does this look like for you? In your own life, what does it look like to live, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly before your God.